Well, good morning and welcome to Sojourn. We are glad that you're here this morning. Uh, as Will said, it's always just good to gather together with the church. And whether it's your first time or you've been here for a long time, uh, we're just grateful to be able to uh, spend this time together this morning. Uh, every week at Sojourn, we preach from the Bible, from God's Word. And so if you need a copy of the scriptures this morning, would you just raise your hand? We'll have a few folks uh, bring a Bible around to you. So if, just keep your hand up till they find you. This morning, uh, we want you to be able to read along with us. We're in a series in the book of Galatians, and so we'd love for you to be able to read with us. Just keep your hand up till they find you this morning. If you don't actually own a Bible, uh, we'd love to give that to you as a gift, so feel free to take that home with you today. That's what those Bibles are there for. Man, I love watching sports, whether it's football uh, or baseball in particular, and, and right now it's baseball season, so I, I love baseball, I love watching baseball, I mean the Nats right now are doing awesome, uh, and so if there's some Nats fans out there, you know what we're talking about, Bryce Harper is playing crazy baseball right now, uh, and so it's exciting to be here to finally have a, a baseball team that actually is here and, and doing decently in the D.C. area. But let me just throw out some stats for you this morning, not about the Nats, but about a particular player. Just listen to these. If you don't know baseball stats, uh, just listen, and, um, and I'll try to explain a little bit uh, about this as we go along. Here's some stats. A particular player, career batting average, 303, had 4,256 career hits. 3,562 games was how many games this player played. 17 all-star appearances. In his rookie season, he was the, the National League Rookie of the Year. He's a two-time Gold Glove winner and a three-time World Series winner. And again, if you don't know baseball, those are impressive stats. Yet the holder of these statistics is not usually remembered by these statistics. He's remembered for something he did wrong at the end of his career. The man who holds these statistics is Pete Rose. And Pete Rose was kicked out of baseball because of a gambling problem that he had. He bet on a lot of different things, but the thing that got him kicked out of baseball was that he bet on games that he was involved in, and in baseball, that's illegal. He has Hall of Fame statistics, yet he's not in the Baseball Hall of Fame because of the mistakes he made. Pete Rose, the career hits leader, he has the all-time career hits, the career hits leader, arguably one of the best baseball players in all time, is not defined by his skills, but is defined by his shortcomings. So let me ask you a question this morning. What defines you? What defines you? What would other people say defines you? As we open up to the end of Galatians chapter 2 this morning, what we're going to see is that Paul helps us to understand who we are and why that matters in our lives here and now. See, my goal today is really simple. My goal today is to encourage you And encourage me with God's word. There's not going to be a whole lot of application. There's not going to be a whole lot of things for you to go and do this week. My hope is is that you'll walk out of here this week being encouraged. That your heart will be refreshed as we open up God's word this morning. Because that's what Paul is doing here as we wrap up chapter 2 in the book of Galatians. So in order for us to be encouraged by God's word, let's... Ask the Lord to do that work in us this morning. Let's pray before we open up to Galatians 2. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the book of Galatians that you've given to us, that you saw fit for us to have. And so, Lord, as we open up to these few verses at the end of chapter 2, I pray, what I just said my hope would be is that we would leave here today encouraged. 
that that, that that would be a win today if we walk out of this room encouraged by the truth of your word. And so we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would do that work in our hearts. I pray you'd remove distractions, things that we're distracted by in life right now, maybe things that we're frustrated by, things that are going on. I pray that you would just help us to be attentive this morning, that we would hear your words, hear your word preached, and Lord, that our hearts would be encouraged. I pray that I would not get in the way, that I would decrease, that you might increase this morning. Father, I have nothing, but in your word, we have everything we need. And so I pray that that would be where we sit this morning, at your feet, listening to you, and that you'd get all the glory for that. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to Galatians chapter 2. And we are going to read the last few verses. Last week we, we went through verse 16 of chapter 2, but I'm going to start today reading uh, back at verse 15 all the way through the end of the chapter. So Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 15. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to us this morning. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Last week in, in the text that we looked at, we said that verse 16 of Galatians chapter 2 is really kind of the central theme of this whole letter. And it, and it has implications for what we've already looked at. It has implications for what we're going to continue to look at through the rest of the book of Galatians. So this morning as we jump into the text that we're going to look at, I, I just want to make sure that we rehearse the truth that Paul laid out for us in verse 16 that we talked about last week. What Paul makes abundantly clear in verse 16, what we talked about, there's, there, there's no way, there's no way at all for you and me to be made right with God, to be reconciled to him, to be forgiven and set free from our sin and its curse, except through faith in Christ and Christ alone. The good news, the, the, the whole message of Galatians, what Galatians is all about is that God has made a way through Christ for you and me to be reconciled to him. And it's not anything that we do. The Son of God came to us as one of us to rescue us. He, he lived a perfect life of obedience before the Father, something that none of us can do. And then went beyond that and went to the cross. And he died a death that you and I deserve to die, bearing the wrath that God would pour out on us for our sin, the death penalty that we deserve for our sin and our lawlessness. And last week we said that faith in Christ... It's not just about cognitive belief. It's not being able just to talk about what it means that Jesus did what he did. It is a believing into, a falling wholly and completely on Jesus in what he's done. 
Faith alone in Christ alone is saying and believing, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. It's radical, outrageous grace that none of us deserve. So as we get into verses 17 through 21 this week, we see that Paul continues to kind of hash this out. Why does this matter? See, in verse 17, Paul deals with an anticipated objection. We see that a lot in the letters that Paul writes in the New Testament. He's writing a letter, but he's anticipating questions being asked. He's anticipating objections that might come up from what he's trying to relate to his audience. And so verse 17 is Paul anticipating an objection that might come from the gospel that he preaches. See, Paul preaches this free, radical, outrageous grace, and there's these false teachers that have come in, and they don't like the gospel that Paul preaches. And so this is an objection that he thinks might come up. Now, this verse sounds kind of confusing. If we look back over it, we read it, and we think, man, this is just a a little bit confusing to us. So let me try and, and blow it up a little bit to help us understand what the objection is that Paul's addressing. It's as if they're saying, but if if it's just Christ, Paul. If it's just Christ alone, if we don't have to do anything in order to be right with God and to continue to maintain our right standing before God, if we don't have to do anything, if we don't have to have our own righteousness, even just a little bit, if we abandon the law, then people are going to go crazy. They're going to go crazy. It's too much freedom. And people can't handle that. We'll all be like those Gentile sinners who have nothing to stop them from living however they want to live. Your gospel is too radical. It's too much freedom. And even more than that, doesn't that then make Jesus a servant of sin? See, Paul, the gospel that you preach, it's it's too crazy. It's too intense. These false teachers that had come into this, these churches in Galatia, see, we have to understand something. They didn't throw out Jesus. They didn't throw out Jesus and say that Jesus was not important. They believed Jesus was important. They fully taught that and acknowledged that you need Jesus. What was false about their teaching was that Jesus wasn't enough, that more had to be done. You need to follow these rules and regulations. The gospel of grace that Paul is preaching is so radical to them that they think it's going to promote sin. And in promoting sin, it's going to then make Christ an accomplice to our sin. But what's Paul's answer? He says, certainly not, absolutely not, by no way possible at all is that true. And why would Paul give an answer like that? He tells us a bit more in verses 18 and 19. Let's look at those again. Paul says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Paul's saying, look, grace and Christ are not what cause us to sin. Having grace, having radical grace is not what causes us to sin. Christ is not an accomplice to our sin. It's the fact that we, when we try to rebuild the law that Christ already fulfilled, it's attaching things to the gospel, adding things to it. Because the law shows my lawlessness. I'm unable to meet its standards. Even if I create standards and rules in my own life, I can't even measure up to those. See, trying to earn favor with God by performance in any way, shape, or form only shows how much I need a Savior. And that's exactly Paul's point. He says, through the law, I died to the law. Through the law, Paul recognized his need for intervention. That he couldn't do it. He needed God to rescue him because he cannot do what God's law says. 
Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Paul writes there, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, in God's sight. Then he says this, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. See, we we understand the fact that we do not meet God's perfect standards through the law. That's part of the purpose of the law. And so sin and rebellion against God have a penalty. They require a death penalty because our sin against God is treason against God. It's charting out our own way in a moment, in an instance, in a decision we make, in a belief in the depths of our hearts that communicates at the end of the day that we want to be the master of our life. We want to be the Lord of our life. We want to be king. We want to be like God. And so the law pronounced a death sentence on Paul. But see, the law is also gracious to us. The law is gracious because the law shows us how much we need God's grace. It reveals to us how much we need God's grace. And so when God revealed this to Paul, a man who once prided himself on being able to follow the rules and check boxes and get close to God by upholding his law, he lays it down. He lays it down and he he says he dies to the law. He dies to it. Have you ever been driving and uh, and all of a sudden you notice a, a police car and you kind of freak out a little bit because you, you know you've been going over the posted speed limit. Maybe that's not you, you know, like your friend who, who drives in the car with you and you're just a passenger. You, of course, would never do that. But as you or your friend slows down after you see that police car, you see the police car speeding up. You're like, man, I'm, I'm toast. I'm toast. I'm going to get pulled over. Surely he's going to pull me over. But then that police car passes by you. And as that police car passes by you, you realize that that police car is a police officer from another county or, or another state or something like that. And you kind of, oh, man, that was close. Now, are you still, you're still doing something wrong. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. But that, that police officer in that given moment has no jurisdiction over you. He can't pull you over. He doesn't have power over you to do anything about that. See, what Paul is saying is not that God's law is discounted or thrown away or unimportant, that it doesn't point out our sin. What Paul is saying in understanding his need for grace is that the law no longer can place demands on him. It no longer has jurisdiction over Paul's life because Paul has died to the law the moment that he accepted God's grace. Recognizing that he can't do that. He's desperate for God's grace. He's desperate for God to, to save him and transform him. He's desperate for a foreign righteousness. For somebody else's good record, for somebody else who's obeyed the law perfectly, Paul realizes that's his only hope, that's his only need. And in doing that, he dies to the law because Christ has fulfilled the law. See, these false teachers were concerned with anti-law living. They came through Paul's gospel. That's what they saw. But what Paul is trying to say, what Paul's trying to teach and emphasize to the Galatians, to us this morning, is that Turning to Christ means we turn away from the law as a means of our justification, of a means of us being made right with God. That's what justify means, that God looks at us and sees us as righteous. It turns away from looking to the law as a means of our sanctification, of being made holy, and instead turning to Christ for both of those things. Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verses 30 and 31, he says, And because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, 
righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Jesus is our righteousness. He's the only one that has perfect righteousness, that has walked in obedience before the Lord, and Jesus is our sanctification, which means that Jesus not only saves us, but Jesus also changes us by showing us the way to live the good way of his kingdom, and enabling us to live that way by his word, by his spirit, by his power. See, the law of Christ is now written on our hearts if we're in Christ, because Jesus is king. Jesus is king. See, the point in all of this is that these false teachers have a false idea of the freedom that comes from the gospel. They heard Paul's gospel, this gospel of radical, outrageous grace, and it made them nervous because they thought that that freedom would just give people license to do whatever they want to do. But they don't understand what the gospel does in your life and in my life. And so Paul shares that truth with the Galatians, and he shares it with you and me this morning. Look at verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a lot going on in these verses, so let's break them down a little bit more. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. This is a huge statement for Paul to make. He's saying, look, I, I, I've been crucified with Christ. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, it was as if I was nailed to the cross. He represented me on that cross. Jesus had no sin of his own, but he bore my sin on the cross. And so that's what happened. I was nailed to the cross with Jesus. I was crucified with him. He took on my sin. This is what Paul says in Romans 6 as well. Paul's trying to relate in this when he says, I have been crucified with Christ, that his heart is so reoriented, that his position before God has so radically changed that this concept of death and life is the only thing that can really explain what's happened. He didn't check off a card. He didn't walk down an aisle. He didn't throw his stick in a fire. He was crucified with Christ. He was crucified with Christ. And since he's been crucified with Christ, Paul's point is, I've been set free. Sin no longer has power over me. He goes on to say then, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When I was crucified with Christ, I died. My old self died. The old condemned me as gone. But Christ didn't remain dead. He rose again. And as Christ rose again, I also rose again with him, which means that I am now a new creation. I'm a new creation. When Christ was raised, I was raised, which means I'm being renewed in the image of God as I become more and more like Jesus. Jesus is now the Lord over my life. He's the master of my soul. I've never been the master of my life. I've been either enslaved to my sin or now through Christ because I've been crucified with him and he now lives in me. I am following him. He's Lord. He says, in the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Listen, when you come to truly know Christ, when you've been crucified with Christ and raised up to new life, your life changes when you meet Jesus. It changes when you meet him. Because by grace alone you are saved and by grace alone you are changed. So we have to understand that Paul used to do things in order to get something from God. 
He thought by, by, by checking these boxes off, by doing these religious things, that he could get something from God. That's why he tried to live an obedient life. But when he understood the grace of the gospel, what Christ had done for him, he recognized now that I don't have to do anything before God. His heart had changed. And so now when he seeks to walk in obedience, when he seeks to live his life by faith in the Son of God, he does it as an act of worship, as an act of praise, as an act of thanks, because God has changed his heart, enabling him to walk in obedience, giving him a desire, a new desire to walk in obedience to his Lord and King. That's so freeing for Paul. It should be so freeing for us that we don't do anything. Paul's not obligated to anything. But God has so radically transformed his heart now. He says, the life I now live in the flesh, meaning here on earth, the life I now live, I don't live by faith in myself. I don't live by faith in anyone else. I don't live by faith in the law. I live by faith in the Son of God. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Paul knows that he has to trust in Christ moment by moment. And in doing that, Jesus gives him this ability and desire to walk in faithfulness and effectiveness in what God's called him to do. And Jesus died for Paul. He says that he, he, he loved me. He gave himself for me. See, Paul sees the cross as personal and specific and particular. Jesus knew who he was dying for when he went to the cross. Now, these false teachers taught that Paul's gospel led to living a life of license because there was nothing to keep you in check with the freedom that Paul was trying to preach. But they're missing the whole point of freedom in Christ. That's what verse 20 is all about. See, the reality for every single person before we know Christ is that we are enslaved to sin. We are alone and helpless. We are a child of wrath. We deserve God's wrath, but God made us alive in and through Christ and Christ alone. And you could do nothing. And I could do nothing. Paul could do nothing, but Christ has done everything. He's done everything. In Christ, we've died to sin. In Christ, we've died to the law. In Christ, we've died to the world. In Christ, we've died to ourselves. In Christ, uh, we're no longer captive. You're no longer enslaved, but, but set free as a child of God, which means that you can now truly live because you've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer about you. It's no longer about me. It's about Christ in me, the hope of glory. So, Paul says in verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul says, look, you think I'm setting aside grace as I say that I died to the law. I'm not setting aside grace. I'm embracing grace. I'm championing grace. Because it's by grace that God saved me. I couldn't do anything to be set free. I had no freedom of my own. But God made a way through Christ. He gives me life. It's in the death of Christ that I live. So Jesus didn't die in vain, Paul says. He saved a wretch like me. And he changed me. And he's transforming me. And he's making me brand new with no preconditions. Just grace. So this is where true freedom is. If we want true freedom in our life, this is where we find it. It's what Paul's trying to say. You misunderstand the freedom of the gospel. The freedom of the gospel is right here. And it's in a doctrine that we call union with Christ. Union with Christ. 
What this means is, is that if you've trusted in Jesus, who he is and what he's done, if you've trusted in him by faith, depending, depending on him completely, his death, his life, his resurrection, to be set free, to be forgiven, to be reconciled to God, then right now you are in Christ and he is in you. This isn't some weird thing, you know, we're like, trying to figure out how that works with him like physically being in us. This is about meaning. This, what this means is that everything that's Jesus's is yours. Jesus's perfect righteousness is now yours. You are now a son of God. You are now a daughter of God. You have Jesus's inheritance and you did nothing to get it. Nothing to earn it. Nothing to make God give it to you. Christ purchased it for you. God made the way and the Holy Spirit gave you ears to hear and eyes to see that you could reach out and grab onto it by faith. That is amazing. But this is what these false teachers missed in the gospel of outrageous grace that Paul was preaching. They missed this. They missed the beauty of this. That what Paul's saying is that the freedom we have in Christ is a beautiful thing. It's a glorious thing. It doesn't cause us to sin more. It causes us to want to walk in obedience and holiness more because we are fundamentally changed from the inside. But see, I think the truth is, it's not just what the false teachers miss in the gospel that Paul was preaching. I think you and I can so often miss this in the gospel that we believe. Because the world teaches us, and we often believe that we are defined by what we've done or not done what we have or don't have, what we do or don't do, who we know or don't know. The world often tells us that we're defined by our relationships, whether they're good or bad. We're defined by our family. We're defined by our marital status. We're defined by our jobs or or what we do with our time. We're defined by what we have or what we don't have. We're defined by our past mistakes, our shortcomings, our missteps in life. And even if you're a follower of Christ, Even if you know and believe the truth of the gospel, we can oftentimes go along with what the world tells us and how we should be defined, especially when it comes to our sin and the sin that remains in our life. We can believe that we are justified, that we're made right with God only through Christ. We we can believe that. We can believe that we're united with Jesus. We can believe that that changes us. But the reality is when we view ourselves we oftentimes focus on the grotesque in our life. We, we focus on the sin in our life and, and we, we think about it because sin is dark and sin is ugly and, and it's, it's not good. We're never saying that it's good. Paul's not saying that it's good. It is grotesque. But oftentimes what we do is we focus on the grotesque at the expense of the glorious in our life. The fact that we have been made new, that the old is gone, that the new has come. Let me try to explain this to you in a way that I think, I hope, will, will help you see how, how we oftentimes think. If somebody came up to you this week, somebody within Sojourn, and said, hey, I just want to let you know that a bunch of us are getting together on Friday night, and we're all going to hang out, and we really need you to be there, because what we're going to do on Friday night is we're going to sit you in a circle, and we're all just going to tell you the truth about you. We're going to sit you down and we're just going to, man, we're just going to tell you the truth. I think there's going to be like 20 or 30 people there. It's going to be awesome. I mean, you, you, you might start to freak out a little bit, right? Get nervous. Like, why in the world would I want to do that? 
the fear starts to rise up within you. You start to be scared, thinking, man, do they really know me? Do they find out about that thing? Do they know what's really going on in my heart and in my thoughts and in my life? This is going to be terrible and humiliating and embarrassing. I don't want to do that. But why do you think that way? They didn't say they were going to sit you down and tell you all the terrible things about you. They said they were going to tell you the truth about you. The truth about you. See, I think the reason that we can do this is because we believe, even though the glorious is there, even though we can read these scriptures, we can read these truths about ourselves, believing the glorious is there, what we believe is, is that the grotesque is bigger in our life. We believe it's bigger. We believe that the most true thing about ourselves is that we're still jacked up. We're still jacked up. That we're defined by our sin. And sometimes to make sure that no one really knows the truth about us, what do we do? We want to be good. We want other people to call us good. And so what do we do? We pretend to be good. And we put on a grandiose front in community. We keep people at an arm's length. We want to make sure that they believe the best in us. And so we hide. Just like Adam and Eve hid behind fig leaves and hid from God, we do the same thing in relationship to one another. Because we believe the most true thing about us is that we are still grotesque. Glorious in us looks about this big. Grotesqueness looks this big. And so when someone says they're going to tell you the truth about you, that a group of people are going to get around and tell you the truth about you, that's what we think. Glorious is this big. Certainly it's not about that. It has to be about all this other stuff. But listen to me. If you are in Christ... If you are united to Jesus by faith, that is not who you are, and that is not the most true thing about you this morning. So let me tell you the truth about you. Pretend we're sitting in that room. You're sitting there by yourself. There's a bunch of people around you telling you the truth about you. Here's the truth about you this morning. A bit of grotesque remains. A bit of grotesque remains. You're, you're not perfect. You still sin. You still struggle, but that is not who you are, and that is not what you're defined by. You are made clean in Christ. You're made clean in Christ. That is who you are now. That's what it means to be justified before holy God. That's what it means to be declared righteous before holy God. And it's possible because of what Jesus has done, not what you do. Did you catch what Paul said at the end of verse 20? Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. He loved you. He gave himself for you. That wasn't a mistake. You you didn't get like lumped in in a big group of people and you somehow you just kind of skated by and skirted by. You, You can't screw that up then. Listen, Jesus doesn't look at you right now and say, if I only known, if I'd only known how much you would struggle with lust, how much you would struggle with anger, how much you would struggle with pride, how much you would struggle with laziness, how much you would struggle with control, how much you'd struggle with fear. If I'd only known that, I don't know if I would have gone to the cross for you. No, that's not what Jesus says. He knew you before the foundation of the world and he knew exactly what he was doing. He was coming to rescue you. He was coming to redeem you. He was coming to restore you and to make you brand new. He sought you out. He came to make you his own, to make you like himself, to make you brand new. 
See, verse 20 says that if we're in Christ, we have died with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. And that doesn't mean we lose our individuality. It doesn't mean that we lose our identity. No, it means that because of grace, you're becoming who you truly are. Your personality is not lost, it's redeemed. Your identity is not set aside, it's found in Jesus. So Paul's trying to say that's what the gospel of radical grace does. See, your identity is the core of who you are. And everything this world tries to attach to you, everything this world tries to tell you to find your identity in is sinking sand. Everything else that you let define you, whether it's your job or your possessions or your relationships or your sexuality or your successes or your failures or your sin, all of it's sinking sand. But Christ is the solid rock. He's a solid rock, which means that Jesus is better. And finding our identity in him is better. So Paul is saying that it's by grace alone that that's where your identity is now. That's what defines you now. If you know Christ, you're united to him. And that means everything has changed for you. Listen, the truth about you. Man, would you hear this this morning? The truth about you is that you are not defined by what remains of your old life. You're not defined by what remains of your old life. What's the most true thing about you this morning? The truth about you is that you're defined by ever-increasing glory of your new life in Christ. That's what defines you now. That is who you are because that's how God sees you now. The most true thing about you is what Jesus says about you. That's what Jesus says about you. It's not what anybody else says about you, not what your own flesh says about you. And his word over you this morning is not condemned. It's set free. It's forgiven. It's new. Jesus' word over you this morning is mine. You're mine. I'm never going to let you go. The truth about you is that you have been and are being made glorious. The truth about you is that you are set free in Christ to be who you are. And the good work that God has begun, he promises to bring to completion a bit of grotesque remains, but God's not done with you yet. God's not done with you yet. The glorious is ever increasing in you. And one day when Jesus returns, you will see him face to face. And God's word says that we will be made fully like him, fully glorious, no grotesque. See, being a Christian is about being in Christ it's about being united with Christ, that we find our identity in Christ, which means that it's not about doing things. It's not about following rules or rituals. It's about freedom. And apart from Jesus, what that means is that apart from him is where you're enslaved. But in Jesus, you're set free. So let me ask you this morning, do you know him? Are you resting in him? Are you finding your identity in Jesus? I don't know if that doesn't mean, I mean, that's for everybody, not just for those of us that are not followers of Christ, but th I'm asking you that too. For all of us, whether we have professed faith in Christ or haven't, where are you resting? Where are you finding your identity? Do you know Christ? Because I want the truth for all of us here today, the truth for everybody in Fairfax to be that you are glorious because Christ is in you and you are in him. So come to him just as you are. 
I know we say that sometimes. I know we sing about that. We sang the song this morning, come to me, come to me. But I think sometimes we can still think, ah, I can't, I can't, not just as I am. But I'm serious. Would you come to him just as you are? I don't care how jacked up you think you are right now. Listen, I'm not afraid of that. This church is not afraid of that. But do you know why we're not afraid of that? Because of this truth. Because there is a righteousness that is bigger and more real than anything wrong with you. There's a righteousness that is bigger and more real than anything that's wrong with you. And it's been freely given to me and it's freely offered to you. It's freely offered to you. Jesus' righteousness is offered to you and it's bigger than anything. So I'm not afraid of the junk in your life and, and we shouldn't be afraid of the junk in each other's lives because our God has been saving and transforming people longer than any of us have been alive. We can go back through scripture and see Abraham who was a worshiper of false gods, sexually immoral and a liar. Moses, who was a murderer and a coward. David, who was an adulterer and a murderer. Paul himself, who was a terrorist. God's grace was sufficient for them. And God's word over them was, I'm saving you, I'm bringing you into relationship with me because I'm gonna change you. So if you don't know Jesus, would you come to him today? He's ready for you. He's ready for you. Sojourn, I want all of us here today to be able to wake up tomorrow morning and the next day and the next day and the next day and say and believe with confidence, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Man, would you write that down on a card or a piece of paper? Would you rehearse that? Would you memorize that and renew your mind and your thoughts with that? Preach that to yourself when you wake up tomorrow morning. Because if you're in Christ, that is the truth about you. I love Galatians 2.20. I love what Paul's doing here because it's been an encouragement to me. When I'm struggling with sin in my own life, when I believe the grotesque is bigger than the glorious, I don't just give myself a pep talk. I don't pull myself up by the bootstraps. I have to go back to this truth and say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. Justin, believe that today. Man, I want you to be encouraged in that, Sojourn. I want you to preach that to yourself. If that's all you do, if that's the only thing you do different this week is go home and just preach this to yourself this week, then it'll be a good week because your heart will be encouraged. No matter how difficult your week might actually be, no matter what actually is going on in your life, you can come back to this and say, this is the truth about me. Let's see, and if you're in Christ, the truth about you affects so much in your life when you really believe this to be true about yourself. The truth about you affects your fight against sin. Because oftentimes, if we're honest, we either experience conviction or condemnation when we have sin in our life. But when you and I, if we're in Christ, experience condemnation, what that's communicating to us is that we still believe we have to do something to be in right standing with God. That when we screw up, that when we do something or say something or think something, that we have to find a righteousness of our own. We have to do something to regain God's favor. And so when we sin, we become fearful that we've messed up that relationship. And oftentimes we end up practicing penance, which is us trying to, to, to balance out the scales in our life. To say, God, I want to do more good than bad that I've done. And so I need to do something to earn that. 
But when we have true conviction, what that actually reveals to us is that we have the Holy Spirit. That Christ is in us and we are in him. That we don't have to do this thing anymore. That we're free, that we're new, that we are glorious. So that doesn't lead to penance, it leads to repentance. Repentance, where we throw off the old and we walk in the new because we know that Jesus is better. The truth about you not only affects your fight against sin, it affects your relationship with God. I don't know about you, but I know oftentimes in my own life that I can believe that God doesn't hear me, he doesn't care about me because of some sin in my life. Have you ever been there? I don't even know if I should pray anymore. Because what you're believing in that moment is the most true thing about you is the grotesque. But when you believe the most true thing about you is the glorious, you recognize again that you're no longer condemned, you're loved. That you have a great high priest who sits on a throne of grace and says to you, come to me. Come to me. I've been tempted in every way that you have yet without sin. My righteousness is yours so you can come boldly. You can come with confidence to the throne of grace. You can receive mercy and grace in time of need. See, when we believe the truth about ourselves in Christ, we can do that. We understand our relationship with God. It affects that. And the truth about you also affects your relationship with other people. I did a wedding uh, last weekend. And one thing that I, that I remind everyone who I've had the honor and privilege of joining together in marriage, I've done a lot of different marriage ceremonies, that one of the things I try to make sure that I remind every couple of is that you are going to sin against one another. Not your most encouraging thing, right? I just want to make sure everybody knows, it's all out there on the table, you are going to sin against one another. But in the times that you sin against one another, you can do two different things. You can extend grace and mercy and forgiveness to that person who sinned against you because that's what you've received in and through Jesus. But the other thing you can do is you can look at that person and you can remind them and you can be reminded that that is not who they are. That is not who they are anymore. A bit of their old self remains, but the glorious new self is shining through. So you can remind them, listen, that's not who you are anymore. The truth about you is you've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. See, but that's not just true for marriage. That's true for any of our relationships with one another. Because the reality is, Sojourn, is that you are going to sin against one another. I've sinned against people here. People have sinned against me. You've sinned against one another, and you will do that. You'll step on each other's toes. You'll offend one another, sometimes unknowingly, sometimes purposefully. But what you and I can do together when we understand the truth about ourselves and we understand the truth that's, about, that's true for one another is that we can look to one another and we can call out the glorious in one another. We don't just focus on the grotesque. We say, brother, sister, I see the glorious in you. That's not you. That's not who you are. You're not defined by that. We can look for evidences of God's grace in each other's lives and point those things out. When we confess our sin to one another, and I, and I hope that we do do that. I hope that we want to bring our sin into the light in community and confess that to one another. But when we do that, when other people do that to you, and encourage them in the good work that God's doing in their life. Call out the glorious in your brothers and sisters. That they'd be reminded of who they are. What are you defined by? What's the truth about you? When you look in the mirror, what do you see? 
the grotesque or the glorious? What do you see? Is it Christ in you? Is that what you see when you think about yourself, when you look at yourself, when you look at other people that you're in a community with? And believe the truth about you today. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you, and it's all because of grace. Sojourn, I want us to fight the fight of faith together to help one another to believe that because Jesus saves us, that Jesus will change us. The truth about you means that you never have to give up, you never have to throw in the towel because God is not giving up on you. So walk in the freedom that's been purchased for you. Walk in the light. Don't retreat back to the darkness. Well, let me say this as we wrap up. Maybe you're struggling right now. Maybe all you really are experiencing, you feel like you're experiencing right now is condemnation. There's a lot more days and moments of darkness than life and light. More days that feel like you're the walking dead than alive in Christ. And if that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you to do one thing. Just go tell somebody. Just go tell someone. Tell someone you're in community group with. If you're not in a community group, I encourage you to get into one. So you have other people around you that can encourage you, that you can go to them and say, this is where I'm at right now. I want to believe that's the truth about me, but I'm having a hard time. Go tell someone. That's why we're here together. And then let them speak this good news over you. Let them sing this good news over you. Let them pray this good news over you. And one of the beauties of gathering together as the church is that we can come with all of our junk, with all of our mess, and we can just be. You don't have to come in here with a grandiose front. You can come in here and be real and be yourself. And maybe you're struggling right now, and so we're going to continue to sing together this morning. Maybe it's been hard for you to sing this morning. Would you let your brothers and sisters sing over you this morning? Receive. It's okay to do that. But just go tell someone. That's why we're here. We want to do this together in community. Brothers and sisters, the truth about you is that you are beautiful because Christ is in you and he is beautiful. He lives in you and you in him and God is doing a transforming work in your life. I know that he is because he promises that he is. And he will complete that good work in you. So fix your eyes on the Savior who loved you and gave himself for you. Every week at Sojourn, we end our time in God's word by coming to the table together to take communion together. We eat the bread and we drink the cup, which Jesus said are pictures of his body broken and given for us and his blood shed for us. And every week when we take communion, we come forward and whoever's serving communion to you says something to you every week. They say to you, the, the body of Christ given for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. And every time you do this, and every time you hear that word spoken over you, that person is reminding you that Jesus loved you. That Jesus gave himself for you, purposefully and specifically and intentionally. He did that for you. Every time you eat that bread, every time you drink that cup, it is preaching a message to you. It's saying to you right now, you are glorious. You're glorious because Christ lives in you. So I want us to come forward this morning and to celebrate, to be refreshed so that we can rest in the finished work of Jesus and believe the truth about ourselves. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just ask that you not come forward 
to, to receive the bread and to receive the cup. And that's not because we're trying to make you feel awkward. It's because that is what this is proclaiming. It's proclaiming our desperate need for grace. That it's in Christ and Christ alone. And so if you don't yet know Christ, if you haven't yet trusted in Christ, then we want to ask you just to hang out in your seat and, and take Jesus today. Take to him. Turn, turn to God and ask him to save you today because of what Christ has done. Recognizing you come empty-handed before him, but he gives you everything in Jesus. Would you ask God to save you today? And if you have questions about what that means, please come talk to me afterwards or any of our other leaders. That's why we're here. That's what we want to do. We want to see more people experience the true freedom that comes in and through Jesus. And those of you that will come forward, you can either come to the front of the room or go to the back. There's two stations back there. Tear off a piece of bread. Take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we, we just come before you this morning. I just want to come before you this morning and just ask that you would lift burdens today. Would you, would you lift burdens off of moms and dads, wives and husbands, roommates, that, that, we, are, that we are bearing, thinking that we have to meet some expectation, that we have to measure up to something, focusing on our shortcomings, Lord, would you lift the burdens off people who are struggling with sexual immorality, with anger, with lying, with bitterness, with pride, with laziness. Father, would you lift those burdens off our shoulders today? Father, I pray you refresh our hearts. I pray that we would leave here encouraged. I pray that we would leave here not thinking that we have to hide, but believing the truth about ourselves. That if we're in Christ, that we have been crucified with him. It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. The life that we now can live, that we're able to live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, we believe that truth today. Help us to believe that. And would that impact the way that we live our lives in community with one another and our relationship with you. Lord, we pray that you would do that good work in us this morning for your glory, and for our good. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.